Take your Bibles this morning, please, and turn to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I have a routine every morning. Get out of bed. Go to the kitchen. Get a cup of coffee. Usually at that point, I go downstairs and do some stretching exercises and then come back up and begin to get ready for my day. In much of that routine, there is a common denominator. And that common denominator is a mirror. I have mirrors down where I do my stretching exercises and a few push-ups, a few sit-ups. I have mirror in my bathroom to help me take care of the necessary things that need taken care of in my life. And then as I get on with my day, I get in my car and I have a mirror. Yeah, necessary thing. In fact, I have three of them, two side ones and one in the middle of the dash. Mirrors are good things. Mirrors are designed to help us with a reflection. They're designed to help us with inspection. And they're designed to spur us to action. Now, guys, I don't know what you did this morning, and I don't know what your impression was when you got up and looked in the mirror, but perhaps it was this. I'm looking good. Now, for some of you guys this morning, it may well have been this. I'm good looking. Now, you know there's a big difference between looking good and good looking. You guys are looking good. Some weeks ago, someone asked me, If I had a Michigan sweatshirt, I said that I did. I confessed that. And this person said to me, if you'll wear it to the gym, I'll pay for one month's gym membership, which is 10 bucks. So I had to document it. Now, I want you to know where the camera is placed is strategic. But this morning we want to look in a mirror. That's exactly what Paul is doing as he is writing to Timothy. He is looking back on his life and he is seeing his reflection and he is helping Timothy understand some of the things that he went through and some of the important things in his life. Aaron, during our ABF class this morning, told us that there are three responsibilities, three purposes that we as believers have. To know God, got it right so far? To obey God, this is, well, this is everybody, to, to know God, to obey God, and to tell others about Him. And Paul is looking back on his life and he's saying, Timothy, here's what I want you to know. I want, to un- want you to understand that I've looked in the mirror, and as I've seen my life, this is what you need to know. Now, our text this morning starts in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 
And I want to start with verse 16, and I want to read down through 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. You follow along in your copy of the Scriptures, please. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped to every good work. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry, for I am already being poured out. Poured out is a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul looks back and says, Timothy, look in the mirror, because this is what I want you to see when you get to where I am in life. Timothy, look in the mirror. Because I have discovered that here are some important lessons that you need to learn and follow in your life. Timothy, look in the mirror and see how you're doing. And recognize that you can make some changes in your life if you're not where you should be. Paul begins with the understanding of the ministry of the Word of God. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. John said this at the end of his first epistle, Have no greater joy than to see my children walk in the truth. Amen? Now, I don't know where your kids are. I don't know where your grandkids are, but I can tell you this. If they are walking in the truth, you will have no greater joy. And Paul understands what it takes for someone to walk in the truth. And it starts with the word of God and that mandate for our lives. Aaron took us to Deuteronomy chapter 5 this morning, which is the restating of the law. And there God told his people, if you'll follow me, if you'll obey me, then you will have long lives and you will have good success and you will be prosperous. Joshua chapter 1 verse 8 puts it this way. But take diligent heed to do the commandment of the Lord, for then you will have a prosperous way and then you will have good success. And Paul in writing to Timothy said, Timothy, here's what the word's good for. It's profitable. Did you notice that in verse 17, 16? All Scripture is profitable. For what? For doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. 
That's pretty good stuff, isn't it? That kind of covers it. Doctrine, what is right. Reproof, what is not right. Correction, how to get right. Instruction in righteousness, how to stay right. That covers it, doesn't it? Success in life is not not having problems. No one is right all the time. Nobody handles everything the best all the time. No matter where we are in life, we struggle, we have difficulties, we are challenged. Success in life is not not having problems. Success in life is biblically handling the problems you have. Doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. What's right? What's not right? How to get right? How to stay right? That's what the mandate of the Word of God does for us. Why? That we may mature and grow. Isn't that what the text says, verse 17? That the man of God may be complete Equipped unto every good work. As I look back on my life, my parenting, there are a number of things I wish I'd have taught my kids. I wish I'd have taught my kids a little bit more about money. How to save it, how to deal with it, how to be good with it. Maybe I didn't teach them because I didn't know myself. I wish I'd have taught my son how to use tools a little bit better, how to do stuff around the house. We were over there a couple of weeks ago, and Rachel said, are you going to be around for a while? And I said, sure. She said, I've got a ceiling fan that I need to have hung in, in the baby's room. Can you do that for me? I'm thinking, boy, I wish I had taught Joshua to do that. The full story is I didn't do it either. Rachel did it. As you look in the mirror of your life, what is going to be the foundation for your life? Will it be the mandate of the Word of God? As you build into your kids' lives, your grandkids' lives, your neighborhood kids' lives, the people around your life, your spouse's life. My wife got me a Father's Day card this morning. I'm not her father. Told her yesterday, I wish your daddy was a was alive to celebrate Father's Day. We miss Pap. But one of the things Connie said on that card is, thank you so much for doing life with me. And where do our instructions come from in order to do life? The Word of God, right? As you view yourself in the mirror, how you doing? There are any myriad of how-to books, cultural mandates, society pressures. But that which is profitable, and it's an interesting word. But the word profitable has the idea of being advantageous and serviceable. Inspired by God and is advantageous and serviceable, profitable, good for you. For doctrine, for reproof. That we might be complete. King James perfect. Refreshed. You know, that's God's plan, isn't it? God's plan is not that we walk around discouraged all the time. 
God's plan is not that we walk around feeling guilty all the time. God's plan is not that we're somehow ashamed of where we are in life. God's plan is to take his word and apply it to our lives so that we might be refreshed by who he is and what he is doing and the opportunity we have to live for him, right? Peter will tell us in 2 Peter chapter 1 that God has given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. That ought to refresh your heart this morning. That ought to encourage your spirit. And if you say, well, I'm not where I ought to be, okay. God will help you get where you ought to be. But he won't help you get where you ought to be apart from this book. Mandate of the Word of God. Not only does Paul look in the mirror and look at the mandate of the Word of God, he also looks in the, in the Word and says, one day you're going to be inspected. Look at verse 1 in chapter 4. There's kind of an abrupt change here. Did you note that? Paul says, I charge you. Hope that wasn't too loud for you. But he says, wake up. This is important stuff. This is not just one of God's suggestions for our lives. Timothy, there's something very, very important here. This is my passion. This is a big deal. And it's a big deal in the presence of God who one day you will have to stand before and give an account. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. One day. Aaron took us to Matthew chapter 24 this morning. Parable of stewards. And in that narrative, the stewards were given gifts, talents, if you will, real money. Five, two, and one, according to their ability. Now, the point is not that somebody got more than another one got. That's not the point. The point is, the master gave everybody something. And he left and he said, do something with it. My mom used to say, do something. Even if it's wrong, do something. I don't think she meant that, but she used to say it. And then he came back and they all stood before him and the one who had been given five gained five. He was faithful. The one who had been given two gained two. He was faithful. The one who had been given one took it and dug it, dug a place in the ground and put it in there and said, here it is. And the master said, why didn't you at least give it to the bankers? You could have gotten some kind of interest out of it. How you doing? You know, one day we are going to have to stand before God because we are all stewards. It's stewardship issue. Moreover, is it required in stewards to a man be found faithful? 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And may I remind you of the four principles of stewardship? Number one, God owns it all. Amen? God owns it all. I remember when our first child was about to be born. Connie got an infection. We were young kids and had no clue what was going on. By the way, our first child will be 40 this fall. September 9th, 1977. 
No? Huh? Oh, I'm sorry, September 22nd. She will be 40, though, right? Got that part? Two out of three is not bad. And I'm doing this without notes just to say that our first child and Pastor John were born on the same day in the same year. So that tells you where he's going to be come September 22nd. Write that down. We didn't know what was going on. And we went to the doctor because we thought maybe she was going to lose a baby. We didn't know. And I'll never forget Dr. Peck. I'm validating this with my wife. I say I never forget, but I make sure that her memory is just like mine. We sat in the parking lot and said, God, we don't know what's going on, but this baby all belongs to you. That was not easy to pray, but it's true. And then God gave to us a healthy baby girl. I'll tell you a story about that later. It all belongs to God. God gives it all back to us. Huh? Everything that belongs to God, he's given back to you. We can increase or decrease its value depending upon our investment, and one day we're going to have to stand before him and give an account. It's stewardship. I charge you in the presence of God and his son Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead. Understand that one day, as we look in the mirror of our lives, we're going to have to give that account to God as good stewards. That's why Sunday morning when our ushers come forward, I talk about giving him his tithes and our love gifts. Because it all belongs to him, right? It's not about society or culture or education or lifestyle. It's have we been faithful to God. I charge you, Paul writes to Timothy. And then he says, preach the word, be instant, in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. No matter where we are, we need to be ready at all times. You never know when you're going to get an opportunity to share in people's lives. As a dad growing up, I thought, you know, if I can just spend some quality time with my kids... It'll be great. If I can just build into their lives at quality opportunities, it'll make a difference in impact. You know what I discovered? Quality opportunities don't come along very well. You don't get those very often. I discovered that the only way I got quality time was to have quantity time. I used to take all of my kids out to breakfast one day a week. I did that because, one, they were available for breakfast before school, and two, it was a cheap meal. And we would spend time together. And a lot of times, it was just over nothing, and I'd leave, and I'd think, okay, well, I got to spend time with my kid. But then there were those special times. And I just had to be ready at all times in order to minister to my kids. And that's what Paul says to him. Timothy, be ready. 
Be ready in season. Be ready out of season. Be ready when it's convenient. Be ready when it's not. Be ready when you're tired. Be ready when you're refreshed. Be ready because you never know when you're going to have that opportunity. You know, we men need to learn that we come home to work, not come home from work. We have to be ready. And what does Paul tell Timothy to do? Preach the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all suffering. Why? Because the day is coming. Did you note that in the text? Verse 3, for the time is coming. You know, time's short. You believe it? The longest day of the year is already gone. No? Is it this week, Dara? By this time next Sunday, the longest day of the year will be gone. You know, July 4th is two weeks from Wednesday? Tuesday. Did I do that right? John's going, I don't know, deer's checking her calendar. You know, wow, where did, where did 217 go? Half of it's gone already. Time is short. My kids will be 40, 36, and 32. We had planned parenthood. We planned one kid in college at a time. Now, what it ended up was one kid in college forever. But I don't know where that time went. Paul says to Timothy, time's coming. It's short. He had said that over in the beginning of chapter 3. Will you just look across your page if you have a Bible like mine? Verse 1. But understand... That in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Time's coming. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal and not loving good, teacher, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying the power of it. Avoid such people. Time's coming. Are we there? Huh? But we need to realize as we look in the mirror, time is short. Every time I look, I, I look in the mirror, I notice how much gray's up here. Now, I want you to know that all of these gray hairs have names. Some of them are yours. Where did it come from? Now, I know I could do something about it if I really wanted to. Two choices. I'd cut it all off or color it. But it just reminds me, time's short. Where did it go? And Paul says to Timothy, as you look in the mirror, verse 3 of chapter 4, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. There's a small window 
to recognize that you can impact lives. And they'll have itching ears. Accumulate for themselves teachers that suit their own passions. They only want to hear what they want to hear. Turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. I am so thankful that I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I wouldn't want to face the things that kids face today. But you know what? God's still God today. His truth is still truth today. And His Spirit still works in their lives today. And kids today have a greater opportunity than I ever had to be a light in darkness because it's darker. Kids today have a greater opportunity to be salt in people's lives because people are so bland today going with the culture. And not only kids, but you and me. You and I have an opportunity to be a brighter light, to be a saltier salt. And that's what God's given to us. But the time's short. You've heard it. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Yep. It's absolutely true. Time is short. I don't know about you, but that's getting kind of convicting to me, so let's move on. Verse 5, 2 Timothy 4. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. We have an obligation to God's calling. We can't give up. We can't give in. We can't give away our responsibility. We are to be sober-minded. We are to endure problems. We are to share the good truth. That's what an evangelist does. And we're to do the work that God's called us to do. Amen? That's it. And that is the obligation to what God has called us to do. We're to love God and love others, right? And if we do that, we will impact people's lives for his honor and for his glory. Sometimes we read this passage and we say, Nope, that's not me. I'm no evangelist. Are you a liver of truth? If you are a liver of truth, you're an evangelist. That's what an evangelist does. Simply lives out truth. Simply allows his life to make a difference in other people's lives. Verse 6. For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Did you notice the thes there? The good fight. The race. The faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me, verse 8, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who love his the word departure is an interesting word. Has the idea of taking up the anchor, unyoking an ox, or folding up a tent. And Paul's saying, 
I'm there. I'm there. I'm about ready to fold up my tent. I'm about ready to pull up my anchor. I'm about ready to unhitch the ox. Because I'm looking toward the rewards that God's going to give to me. You see, folks? It's all about what He is going to do in our lives when we stand before that judgment seat of Christ. That righteous judge who gets it all correct, who knows your intent, who knows your plans, who knows your investment, who understands exactly what you are doing in your life as you are influencing others. You know, you can't get anybody to do what they don't want to do. Have you figured that out? You can't get kids to do what they don't want to do. You can't manipulate them. But I'm thankful that when I get to glory, it's not going to be whether or not my kids turned out right. It's whether or not I was faithful. When I get to glory, it's not going to be whether or not my kids did this, that, or the other thing. It's how I plan to invest in their lives. When I get to glory, it's not going to be about somebody else. It's going to be about me. And he knows the thoughts and intents of our heart. Maybe you tried. Maybe you worked real hard at it. It just wasn't working out. Okay. It's the righteous judge that matters. Now he talks here about a crown of righteousness. There are some other rewards there's an imperishable crown, 1 Corinthians 9. There's a crown of life, James chapter 1. A crown of rejoicing, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. And a crown of glory, 1 Peter chapter 5. And we'll not take time to look at those. But here we go with a crown of what is right. That's righteousness. And God's going to give us a crown for what's right. Mirrors. Mirrors are interesting things, aren't they? Therefore, therefore, reflection, inspection, and action. I thought I'd check myself in the mirror this morning, and I got here this today, and Connie saw me, and she said, Tom, check your left nostril. So how you doing? The good news is, that when you're looking in the mirror, you've got an opportunity to correct something. You can take care of that hair that's out of place. That nostril that, well, you get it. That's the good thing about mirrors. James says, James chapter 1, and here's the key. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently his natural face in a mirror and then moves away and forgets what he saw. I trust that this morning you won't forget what you heard, what you saw, and that every time you look in the mirror, you'll think about Paul's exhortation to us. Peter Dell 
Wilburn was a poet and songwriter from 1895 to 1954. He wrote some American classics. Good Gracious Gracie, do you know that one? How about this one? Country bed, bread and chicken fed. Thinking of me, thinking of you. You ought to YouTube these things, they're a hoot. But he wrote this poem. It's called The Man in the Glass. When you get what you want in your struggle for self, and the world makes you king for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father or mother or wife whose judgment upon you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back in the glass. He's the fellow to please. Never mind all the rest, for he's with you clear to the end, and you've passed your most difficult, dangerous test if the man in the glass is your friend. You may fool the whole world down the pathway of years and get pats on the back as you pass, but your final reward will be heartache and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. I thought that ended kind of empty. So I wrote this stanza. So my fellow travelers along life's long road, be aware there's a race to be run. For when life is over and your story is told, will he say to you, well done.